And we're live. What's going on, Calgary? And welcome inside our humble abode, the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio on a Sunday, October the 8th, 2023. Sportsnet Today starts uh, right now. I'm your host, Garrett Vanderplug, a.k.a. GVP. Got a couple other friends hanging out in here with me as well. We got Azam. Azam, what's going on, my man? Not too bad. Actually, I have some fun news for you. Share right off the top. Uh, right Please off share. the top. Uh, Cam, I got a favor to ask you. Can you hit the uh, breaking news little splitter that we have there? Let me find it for you. Come on, Cam. Great radio. That makes no. for great radio. Well, when you have <laughs> breaking news, it's uh, always nice. We found it here, Cam. It doesn't work. Please okay. share. Please okay. doesn't work. Well, Excellent program we got running uh, here right well, off the top. Off the, is what it is. Kicking off the start, Elliot Friedman just tweeting out that Sam Lafferty has been traded to the Vancouver Canucks. So a uh, big start to the NHL series here. Uh, as uh, Sam That just shows Lafferty. the NHL's back, baby. Oh, NHL's back. Preseason is done. I'm ready to get into the regular season. We're all hyped up here in Calgary. Flames are getting underway uh, October 11th, first game. Winnipeg Jets. It's NHL is here, and I don't think any of us can say just how, how excited we are to finally get this thing going. A lot of energy here in Calgary that, you know, this season's got to get going underway. We've been chomping at the bit. Feels like the entire offseason. A lot of changes here. A lot of good energy around the team. We're ready to go. I'm fired up. Oh, it's excellent. I'm so excited for this season. I think there's a lot of uh, fun, maybe unexpected turns to go. I think if you look at Calgary, like, is Huberto going to bounce back? Are they going to make the playoffs? Is Lindholm going to stay? There's so many questions just within the city. But mm-hmm. also look at other teams. Like, can Chicago be a star-studded team now with Connor Bedard? Can they won't, I don't think star-studded, but like I think they're, they're going to be an exciting team to watch for sure. They're going to take a step forward. I think Bedard's an excellent player and whatnot. Um, but yeah. yeah, and then Tampa Bay, how are they going to fare without uh, Vasilevsky for two months? Tampa Bay is just in a weird spot right now. Super weird. With Vasilevsky going down, the whole drama they got going on with the best player they've ever had in their franchise, Steven Stamkos, and just how they're not even starting to begin contract negotiations with him just seems bizarre. And the fact that that they're not going to be showing him some sort of loyalty. Yeah, I know he's had some injury problems. He's still like a, a youngish player. He hasn't hit that 35-year-old marker where, you know, that seems to be the the benchmark age where players kind of kind of hit that downturn on their career. He's not there yet. I think Stamkos can still be a point-per-game player in this league, a 40-goal guy even. Oh, 100%. Now, he still ages pretty well. Like, you really want... Steven Stamkos, not on your power play unit from pretty much his office there where Gretzky, uh, Gretzky and Ovechkin have scored a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. But he's still a threat on that power play. Even though he's older, his shot really hasn't changed as much. Yeah, uh, that is a zone. We have Cameron Hughes on the ones and twos. And we got a busy show lined up for you today here on Sportsnet today. Uh, at the bottom of the hour here, we got Derek Van Deest. Uh, NHL regional writer for NHL.com does a little bit of stuff for the Oilers as well. We're going to check in on the team up north with him at one o'clock. We're going to have a little goaltending discussion with uh, Kevin Woodley from in goal magazine. He also covers the Vancouver Canucks for NHL.com going to get his thoughts on the Canucks and how their training camp has gone as well. And tend to put a bow tie on the entire program. We're going to chat with our man, J Mac Julian McKenzie from the athletic for all things flames, but we kind of mentioned it off the top there with the Calgary flames and we do get off we do kick off our season uh, next week, Wednesday, October 11th, taking on the Winnipeg Jets. Like I said, we're super excited to get this season going. Seems like there's a whole bunch of energy around this year's team. And uh, the biggest news that's been around this this team right now just happened this past week with the new arena dropping. What were your immediate reactions to that? It feels like it was a long time coming. It, it is a long time coming, especially when the original arena deal 
uh, fell through. I also remember when Ken King announced, uh, you know, rest in peace for Ken, uh, when he announced Calgary Next was the project that they wanted to do to get to replace the Saddledome and McMahon Stadium. Obviously, that didn't work out. But then the deal came for this one, and it's just a long time coming. I think we, the amount of shows, concert-wise, I think outside of hockey, for those who aren't big sports fans, mm-hmm. the amount of revenue that gets brought back to the city, uh, just all is going to Edmonton. And that revenue would be a lot better focused here and help flourish our city, especially with not only that, but the infrastructure that's coming in with the transit and the uh condominiums and all that in that district i think it's a fantastic idea especially with the new arena and hopefully they can get shovels in the ground as quickly as possible yeah it sounds like they're that's the goal for that we had the mayor on 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 the big show with russick and rose you can check that out wherever you get your podcast apple google spotify etc um and and she was saying that with this building their goal for that is that that anything's possible with it right it's not just about um putting on games and putting on concerts it's about putting on uh, a world-class entertainment center for for a variety of vent or of entertainment ventures and and stuff like that a way to really reach all generations within this city not just sports fans and and anything else of that nature but really trying to put on a, a world-class entertainment uh venue and uh i, I think it's going to be super exciting it is i know we've had some people on the text line and whatnot saying that they're, they're going to miss the saddle on that that's understandable i'm going to miss it too it's it it's an it's an, an iconic part of our skyline when you think of Calgary, you think of the Saddle Dome. It was a, a symbol of Western Canada. I think it was super cool the fact that we had a building that was shaped like a saddle. It's a part of our culture, the rodeo, the stampede, all that. I'm definitely going to miss it as well. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that it, it, it was just it was just time. It was, it was time to say goodbye to the Saddle Dome. And, and I think the new rink is going to really, you know, make, make the Calgary Flames look even more like like a world cast or world class organization that's that's where you want to be right well it definitely helps attract free agencies especially when you have teams that you want to be competitive for the next few years uh, you want to have a world class business i think you look at mckenzie Weger, a guy who signed an eight-year deal he's like as much as the saddle dome is iconic like you mentioned they needed new building tra- training facilities uh video areas just especially with how many teams are going to be in that building because it's not just the Calgary Flames. It's going to be the Wranglers. It's going to be the Hitmen. And it's going to be the Roughnecks. Yeah. So it's a lot of teams going to be in that building. And they're going to need more spots. Because right now, the Wranglers, their stuff isn't in the Saddle Dome. They come... They, when it's game day, they get their stuff brought in from Winsport. And then either it goes into the Flames locker room. Mm-hmm. Or it goes into the Hitmen's locker room. Whoever's on the road. But they don't have their own designated locker room. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if a new rink is going to be the end all be all to like attract free agents, but it's, it's not going to hurt. Right. If you have an outstanding building, it's definitely going to be a plus for, for a player to come here because like, I I know that we've had instances where players didn't necessarily want to live in Calgary. Like I, Calgary is a great city. I've grown up here my entire life. I have nothing but great things to say about it. This is, it's a world-class city in my opinion. And the fact that, um, some some players don't want to want to be here. I feel like is more of a hockey decision rather than wanting to play in Canada and whatnot. But and it, for the Flames right now, like I've said off the top, it it seems like the energy around this team, the vibe around this team, has been nothing but positive. But we'll see how things go within this first start of the season. Here we've had some of our NHL insiders like Frank Saravelli come on, saying how um, how crucial this start to the season is, and it it's really going to determine what type of momentum we have getting into this thing the first five ten games is really going to give a 
pretty decent example of who we're going to be this season and how many people have really taken this offseason to heart. Like Jonathan Huberto comes to mind. It, it sounds like he is more comfortable here and whatnot, and everyone is expecting him to have a, a huge bounce back season, but we're, we're not going to know until puck drop. And, and he's going to be half, he's going to have to be our best player this season. And, and he simply wasn't last, last year. I think he needs to be our best player. He needs to be at the very minimum, a point per game player to have for this team to make any noise in the Pacific division, especially now. I, I think the Pacific division might be the best division in hockey now. Yeah, I think you, the position is going to be very hard with what Vegas did last year. Edmonton is still strong. Uh, LA's offense and defense is pretty much there. Their goaltending I still question about a little bit. Yeah, their goaltending is very interesting. Uh, I do want to ask uh, Kevin Woodley about that. Like the, They got Camp Talbot in net there and uh, Phoenix Copley as well. They, they went really cheap on uh, their, their contracts for them. But that, that's kind of the way goaltending is kind of going. It's obviously super, super important, but sometimes teams just don't want to front that bill it's too much of a risk you missed one name on that uh basically uh they brought in to accomplish phoenix copley as well they acquired the uh covid bubble calgary flames goaltending tandem because david riddick was also signed to the other king so it's it's david riddick and cam talbot gotta gotta put there they brought the the three goaltenders there yeah yeah but yeah no i I think the division i think vancouver's gonna have a bounce back season that thatcher demko can show what he is that's going to be a, a good team. But for the Flames, Huberto's going to be good. And preseason really means nothing. Uh, I take You take it with a grain of salt. They're still getting back into shape form. They're getting used to players. Uh, young players have their opportunity. So I don't really take preseason as a big marker. When puck drops on October 11th, that's when you got to get going. And it's got to be a hot, hot start. You're at home against Winnipeg. You yeah. feed off the fans because they are excited for this year. You've brought many changes that the city is excited for. I think they're excited for Ryan Huska. They like how Conroy has been handling the situation with the free agents. You have uh, a Ginla on that co- uh, staff as well. And then forward, looking forward, you've got Kiprasov coming for his uh, jersey. Going yeah, the up vibes are high here. I can't so, deny that. The vibes so, are high. So you got to feed off of that. And now with this news of the, the arena, it's like, okay, everything is set in stone. Now let's go prove, and his contract kicks in. Let's go prove that ten and a half million is worth what we they're paying for Jonathan Huberto. And I agree with you. I think point per game, even more than that, but he cannot be less than seventy points this year. I I, I think he can't be less than a point per game. Like if you're making ten and a half million dollars, you're you're being paid like a hundred point guy. And it, and if you're twenty points short short of that, I'm sorry, you're just not worth that money. Really, in my mind, uh, being like if you're an eighty point guy, you're probably worth around the eight to nine marker you're not even close to a double digit guy. And that's where we need to be. That's where we need Huberto to be. He needs to be our best player this year. Um, from what, from what I've seen from him, he, he looks like he's a lot more comfortable in all this. I know that you said preseason's not the end all be all. You got to take it with a grain of salt, but who who do you think plays on that, that top line with him? Have you, have you liked what you've seen from Sharon Govich from there? Like really beyond Huberto, our, our depth on, on the boards, the wingers seems a little lackluster to me. And it's a little worrisome because we we lost a big chunk of our goal production in Tyler Toffoli and everyone else beyond Jonathan Huberto up and down our wings is kind of unproven in a top six role. Yeah, for Saren Govich, I think it's also a learning curve for him as well. I think he's still understanding the system, learning the team, and he's still getting more comfortable. 
and that will take some time. I do don't mind Majapani on his offside. He was very uh, successful when he was playing with Coleman uh, as well on that side. That was going to be a name I was going to throw out you there because but, Styles is what make lines, and yeah. Huberto is obviously a playmaker, and he needs to be kind of paired off with a, with a trigger man like like Andrew Majapani. And Majapani's great in the corners and go get you a puck and whatnot. I, I feel like they're just kind of trying to force the Sharon Govich fit, and I, I don't totally understand it. Well, I, I think they, when they moved him off, they're not trying to force him okay. on that thing. I think it should be the starting point, because if you look at the comparison of Sharon Govich and Tyler Toffoli, if you look at the goal spread, they're very similar on how they shoot the puck and where they put the goals in. That's the first thing I looked at when Sharon Govich was acquired by the Flames, was where does he like to shoot from? And he is used to his off wing. He prefers his off wing. So that kind of helps with that righty situation that Huberto talked about last season, not playing but uh, two righties before. So that definitely helps that situation there with that. So I think Sharon Govich should start on that on that top line if it doesn't work. But you got to give it a few games so that they can kind of get used to it. Yeah. But if it, if it then doesn't work, don't, not going into the third game of the season and changing it up, obviously not how it was last year, but. If it's not working 10, 10, 12 games of the season, start mixing it up. Majapani mm -hmm. there. I think Coronado can have a chance. Coronado can have a definite chance on that. We know his shot. We've seen it. Uh, how deadly that shot is. And maybe towards the end of the preseason, obviously he played almost every single preseason game, including Penticton, as he could. And I think maybe some wear went on him, and that's what kind of slowed him down. But even when his play without the puck was very strong, he's just always in the right place at the right time. He could be a spot a guy that could fill that role, but I'd rather have him stay with Backland to start just so he, he gets comfortably. Backland's that guy who helps elevate those younger players, who allows them to have that comfort that, look, hey, if I mess up, it's okay. I'm going to understand what I did wrong. I'm going to learn from it, but I also have got Backland there who's going to teach me that this is the right way to go, and that's why he was named captain because he is that leader in that locker room. Probably should have happened two years ago. Oh, for sure. But... Backlund is that type of pl player that will take you under the wing. And I think Huberto on that set, set, uh, situation is also kind of taking on that leadership role where he was organizing events, kind of do what he's doing in Florida, just kind of being himself, which is also going to help him be the Huberto we know him to be. I, I just think finding that fit with Huberto and Lindholm is, is arguably one of the more crucial things the Flames need to figure out within the first 10 games of this season. They, they, they absolutely need to that because... If you're looking at their lineup here, I, where are we really going to be getting depth scoring here? Like, we're, we're relying on Kadri to have a bounce back season. That's still a question mark. Mangiapane's never really played in a top six role before. That would be a huge jump for him to play on that spot. Sharon Govich was scratched in the playoffs as a member of the New Jersey Devils. Sure, he is a young player. He does have some good upside. Like you said, he has a great shot. Big guy. Good skater. But it for a lot of these guys on our right side, that feels like a weakness because... It feels like a big jump for Mangiapane. Feels like a huge jump for Sharon Govich to jump into that top that top line role, or even a guy like Coronado in in his first rookie season. To me, Coronado has been the most impressive out of those guys in the preseason. I know that you said you can't take with a grain, you got to take it with a grain of salt and whatnot. From but from what I've seen, Coronado, I think that's going to be his job to lose. But I wouldn't start him there right away. Is what I'm thinking, just because. He's got to get used to the NHL. You you might want to shield him or protect him, bury him in your down a bit lower in your lineup, so he's not taking on matchups against other teams' top pairings and whatnot. But I, I think a huge glaring hole in this lineup is is our top line right winger. 
Indeed. And I think it, what management said is they want their young players to go fight for that spot. And we saw that with, you know, no PTOs being assigned to the NHL roster. And that sends a great message to younger players. Go win that spot. Prove to us that you can be a top six player. And there are three names that we just mentioned, Madripani, Sharon Govich, and Matt Coronado, who can go reach out. Obviously, unfortunately, Peltier is injured and is going to be out long term. Yeah. He, he could have been another guy who could play on his offside as well. In the top six? Potentially. Mm, I, I, it's a potential, right? We, I, like it you is potentially, yeah. You don't know what these kids can do unless you give them a shot. Yeah. So now we have our picks. Now go prove it. Here's your chance. That was the biggest thing in the locker room. And we've heard it last, that last year was that there was no opportunity. Yeah. Now you can't say that there was no opportunity because there was. Here is your opportunity. Go prove it. Now, if they can't, then I think you can go down the trade route or uh, the waiver wire and or, or see who else is out there that you can bring in. But I think the right way, which what they're doing, is like, here, here's a spot. Go prove the world that they're wrong in not putting you in a top six role. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. It, it, with with younger players, the, the only worry that you have really at sometimes like... If you take Coronado, for example, here right now, obviously he's looked absolutely electric in the preseason. But how sustainable is that in your first year in the NHL? Like, it seems like with every young player, they reach some sort of burnout at some point in the season. They start facing tougher matchups and whatnot, and, and then they hit a wall, and that, that's going to be a tough spot for them. So I think, I think Coronado on that top line is... It, it might eventually happen. He's, he's more than capable of proving it, but... I'm just being a little more cautious with the fact that can you really rely on these young guys right away? Right away? Like, Brzezinska hasn't proven much in, at the NHL level just yet, and he's probably going to be up and down between that second and third line. He's another guy that, um, you know, could be could be a guy that could prove something, but that being said, he could also be one of these young guys that, you know, hits a wall, and, and that would put the Flames in trouble, depth scoring-wise. Potentially, and that uh, the thing goes just right back to go prove Go prove us right. Go prove the faith that we've put on your team. Rizichka, uh, we know his consistency issues have plagued him so far, but how is he going to regroup from that? Yeah. Is he going to uh, learn from it, or is he going to take an approach? Because with Ryan Huska behind the bench, he's, he's a different coach. It's a different coach. It's a different coaching staff. They have an opportunity to not only learn from this coach, who I think will have an excellent season because Rizichka was part of the uh, AHL Stockton Heat when Ryan Huska was the the head coach. Mm -hmm. So he has some familiarity, and he was pretty successful when he was playing on that top line. So can that production translate with now a familiar head coach behind your NHL bench? Potentially. But I think it just goes back to go prove us wrong. Yeah. Or prove the question mark of can you be a top six player and will the Flames have depth scoring wrong? Yeah, so that that's the biggest glaring hole I think the Flames need to figure out within the first you know month or so of the season is really figuring out or locking in that top six role. And then everything, I've, we've kind of beaten it to a dead horse this entire offseason is, season is the goaltending. And, and in recent news, Dustin Wolf was sent down to the AHL. You, you can't really fault Wolf there. He was just kind of in a tough spot during this entire training camp given the fact that the the Flames are a team that have the luxury of having a deep goaltending staff. And it felt like 
Dustin Wolf needed to be undeniable or super, super fantastic to win a job here. And it felt like he just didn't do that. But I, I still have all the trust in the world that, that Wolf is going to get into some games here. What, what do you put the over under it starts for him this season? Like, does he get double digits? Uh, I, I think I he's say, around like five. See, I'm, I'm at the eight to 10 mark. Really? I, I think it's going to be an eight to 10 mark because with Dustin Wolf, you're not, it's, it's not, he didn't prove enough. Like he had that one bad game and then rebounded very well against Winnipeg, but it wasn't a full enough to force the flames hand. Let him regroup. Yes, I know he's played a lot in the AHL. He's really nothing left to prove in the AHL other than winning a Calder Cup. Yeah. But let him work. Look look at Florida at Spencer Knight. Spencer Knight. He was supposed to be the backup this year, but they're sending him down so that he can play. He can get back into game form on a high level. It's okay to use that exempt. And then when they are ready, I think... You know, a lot of teams are still looking at their goaltending. We, we, Tampa Bay, we talked about a little bit at the top of the show, and we'll get more in that with uh, Kevin Woodley about Vasilevsky being out. Mm-hmm. Can that be a potential trade partner? But you also have to have the right deal. You can't just trade away a player and not get your assets back. A lot of people talk about asset management, and they think it's the wrong way to control Dustin Wolf by sending him down. But you also... Well, the got, Flames are in a... In a- like they they didn't have anything to lose by sending him down. You you didn't have to clear waivers. No, like they that, didn't. that's why he was in a tough spot. Yeah, and you just and I think Pat and Logan and they've all said it properly. It's like it's not your time right now, but be ready when the call comes because mm-hmm. it's coming yeah. and they know it's coming. And the Flames know that they want Dustin Wolf to be the future goaltender of this team, so they're going to plan out properly and do the correct asset management so that Dustin Wolf is put in a position to succeed. How many goaltenders are put into a spot too early that have not succeeded? I I think Matt Murray is a guy who was put in there, won cups, and then was put in the starters role and then defaulted. I I think of how many other goaltenders were put in such a high spot when they were young, but then faltered because the pressure was too much and they weren't ready for it. So I'd rather have Dustin Wolf be fully ready for when his time com- comes because when he comes and he's ready, he's going to flourish and it's going to be great for this team. Are you confident in Jacob Markstrom that he gets back to what we saw two years ago, a Vesna candidate type goalie? Or is he, you know, just a guy who's around like a 9-10 a save percentage, kind of middle of the road? Like, I don't think the Flames need him to be exceptional for us to get in the playoffs, but... We we definitely need him to bounce back in some regard. Are, are you confident that we're going to get a Jacob Marks from of old? I think you know, maybe not a Vesna caliber goaltender because he is getting older, which yeah. is normal. But I think he's going to be close to his career average career. He's been a 909 save percentage. Uh, and I think that is something that he can definitely attain. I think he'll be closer to the 9, maybe 915 is kind of the mark I kind of put it around. Okay. But uh, from what we've seen so far, again, like I've said, take the preseason with a grain of salt. He seems to be a individual who is more focused, not stressed about what's going on outside of the locker room. He's focused on his game. Uh, even though if we go back to the last preseason game, gives up the goal on the first shot. Everyone's like, oh, we're worried again. Here we go. Back to that first shot narrative. But he settled down very well and really kept the flames in that game. 
So even though he gave the first goal, he wrestled down. And they weren't the reason they, they lost that last preseason game. He gave them a chance to fight. And then a goaltender is not going to be perfect every game. Yeah. But he will put his best foot forward. And he knows that if he can't go back to how his career average would be and help the team, we just mentioned, Dustin Wolf is waiting. So, uh, and, and I put this in the him and hockey hour just uh, last hour, that uh, goaltending, when you have a healthy competition, you play better. And for Jacob Markstrom, knowing that it's not just Dan Vladar who's behind him, that Dustin Wolf is also there, that'll also push him to be, hey, I got to be on the top of my game. And that'll push him to be a better goaltender and help this team hopefully make the playoffs. How many games do you think Jacob Markstrom should start this season? He started almost 60 last season, 59 games played for him there. What do you think the split should be among those three guys? I think it's probably going to be around like 50 for Markstrom, 25 for Vladar, and then seven for Wolf. Is that, I, I feel like that's a, a decent, a decent ish split because there was so much discussion and discourse about, man, are we just, are we just making, is there too much of a load on, on Jacob Markstrom right now? Daryl Sutter was a guy who wanted to just play his starter. That's how Mika Kiprasov operated. That's how Jonathan Quick operated underneath Daryl Sutter in Los Angeles is, I think 50, is that is that a healthy split for Markstrom, or does that feel like too big of a load again for him? Uh, 45 to 50 is what I would put for Jacob Markstrom this year. And then between Dustin Wolf getting about 10 games and then the remainder going to Dan Vladar. Again, that's all going to depend on how Jacob Markstrom plays. But I think the goal would be 45 to 50 starts for Jacob Markstrom. And if he can prove that he can be that goaltender, he'll get those numbers. And when time comes to crunch and you need points, he may play more. But if he can't, Dustin Wolf's numbers are going to increase, and so will Dan Vladar's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, busy show ahead of us. Around the corner, we're going to be talking to uh, Derek Van Dees, regional writer for NHL.com. Top of the next hour, we're going to continue more of this goal-sending uh, discussion that we just had with Kevin Woodley. And then to wrap things up, we got our pal, friend of the station, Julian McKenzie, hopping on at 1.30. That's all straight ahead. You're listening to Sportsnet today. GVP and Azam right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet today. Day right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, Osmalinanji and GVP along with you. Cam is our producer. And let's go down the Alice Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and bring in Derek, who is the regional writer for the NHL.com for the Oilers. Derek, how are you doing today? Good, guys. How are you guys doing? Oh, can't complain. Uh, first things first, uh, let's uh, kick it off uh, with the Oilers. Uh, Jack Campbell looks like he's uh, returning back to the man that the Oilers signed him at. Yeah, he had a really good preseason. Yeah, he played really well. I think he stopped something like 99 or 100 of 104 shots or something like that. Uh, he only let in three goals in the preseason, so the owners were very happy with his performance. And, yeah, this is kind of what they were looking for from Jack Campbell when they signed him. They thought he'd come in here and, and be the the, you know, the consensus number one goaltender, and Stuart Skinner would come up, and uh, they've kind of developed Stuart Skinner over the past few years, and he'd be a reliable backup, but uh, – Jack Campbell just couldn't get any traction last year, and he really, he was really hard on himself. And I think that's the one thing that really stood out as he really wanted to play well for this team. He wanted to earn that contract, and and some thought maybe he's just a little too hard on himself. And coming into this season, he looks more relaxed. He's not going to be as hard as himself. He, you know, he said uh, in, in his, one of his early press conferences, "I'm not going to lose a week's sleep over letting in a goal." And uh, he looks like the guy that the orders signed and wanted to be their number one guy. So I think that's good news for the Oilers because I think 
Uh, going back to last season in the playoffs, it was goaltending that kind of let him down in the playoffs. And if they can get Jack Campbell going and Stuart Skinner can have the type of year that he had again, uh, uh, the Oilers are, are going to be a much better defensive team this season. Indeed, it, well, goaltending was the biggest question, but uh, now it looks to be uh, steady the ship. Uh, but from the training camp, uh, any standouts that you see can really make an impact on this team? Obviously, we know the two big guns up front, but anyone that you've seen that has really made an impact uh, for this team? Well, yeah, there's there's, uh, there's a couple of good depth players. Uh, Adam Ernie's still around. He he didn't get waived today. He's a guy that they brought in on a PTO. Um, and he looks good. I think the owners are looking for for depth players that are affordable. They're looking for, basically, as Ken Holland put it, I'm looking for cheap players that can play, uh, which are hard to find around the league. So they brought a lot of depth guys in. Uh, basically, they're, they're looking to get a little bigger uh, in their bottom six. They're looking to get a bit more physical. So they brought in guys like him and Lane Peterson and, and uh, you know, um, uh, there's a couple of the Raphael Lavoie was here as well. Peterson and Lavoie were waived today, so they, they didn't make the team, but they're still around. If they clear waivers, they can always come back. So I think the owners want to get a little heavier on the bottom six, and, and I think Adam Ernie really made a good impression. He might make the team. He may not. We'll still have to see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, so I think uh, of all the guys that have stood out, like Ben Gleason had a good camp as well, a defenseman, but he was waived today as well. So it looks like they do have some depth uh, in the American Hockey League if these guys go down to the American Hockey League, uh, especially on their, on their bottom six. Their top six is, six is set. Um, so unless they have injuries on that top six, uh, it's going to be the same six guys, uh, just maybe rotating them a little differently in the top two lines. We're talking with Derek Van Dees here on Sportsnet today. Osman Ali Nanji along with you and GVP. GVP. Uh, Derek, thanks for taking the time today again. Uh, what can you tell me about Dylan Holloway? He's entering his third year of pro hockey here. Uh, what are the expectations for him and the Oilers uh, coming into this season? Well, Dylan Holloway's actually had a very good camp. He's looked very good. And for the first time in a long time, he's healthy. Dylan Holloway yeah. had a lot of injury issues early on. He had that, that wrist injury that he hurt playing in the NCAA uh, and they had to have surgery on it. It didn't heal properly. They had to have surgery on it again. So that really set him back. That cost him an entire year of development. Uh, last season, he played, I think it was 55 games here in Edmonton. Didn't play much. Played kind of in a role, uh, you know, kind of a, just a supportive role. Went down uh, when, uh, when Kyler Yamamoto was ready to play. Went down to the minors and got hurt in the minors. Uh, got hurt in the American Hockey League. So uh, it's been a tough goal. He hasn't been able to gain much traction, but... He did have a good summer of training. Uh, he had, uh, you know, he came into camp looking really good. He, he thinned out a little bit. Uh, he didn't spend as much time in the work in the gym. He didn't want to. He was kind of bulky, he says. Uh, so he kind of worked on it on on his, his lower body and, and just his his, uh, his uh, fitness levels. And he looks really good. And he's come in here and uh, he's a guy that will play on your bottom six. But if, if there's an injury on the top six, he's a guy that can move up there. And he's. It's really displayed the skill and the speed that he has that, that made him such a, a high pick. And, and I think this is going to be a good year for Dylan Holloway. And, and the, the good thing about him is that he doesn't have to put up big numbers because yeah. the owners have players that can put up those numbers. So you have, you have the luxury of developing a guy like that and taking your time with him. But I think he's going to have a really, really good season. One of their other younger prospects as well, who I think is might be even in the same boat as Dylan Holloway is Philip Broberg. Um, he also has had some time with the big group as well, but, do you think the Oilers are wanting to see more from him as well on, on as a as a bottom pairing type guy with them this season? Yeah, they do, and and it's and it's unfortunate for Broberg 
and the Oilers that they wanted to play with Matthias Ekholm this year, uh, and they wanted to see how the two uh, will play together and uh, match together. Unfortunately, Ekholm has a, has a hip pointer or, or a hip issue, uh, hip flexor, and he hasn't been able to play any games in the in the preseason. So you haven't been able to see that pairing together because it looks like that's the pairing that they're going to go forward with. Ekholm will play a mentorship role to the younger Swede, uh, and and I think that's what they were looking for. Now they're they're ready for Broberg to break out and become an everyday NHL. And this is a guy with a lot of skill, a lot of talent. He's got size, and I remember in his first training camp, he looked so impressive just carrying the puck up the ice, making the right plays. And everyone thought, wow, this kid has a lot of skill. This kid's going to be a really good player for the Oilers. But he just hasn't been able to kind of put it together. He hasn't been able to kind of find his way and, and, and be that everyday NHL that they're looking for. And they thought, well, if we can play him with Ekholm, that's obviously going to help him. Ekholm helped Bouchard last year. Um, so they thought, okay, we'll play him with them. But uh, unfortunately, Ekholm's been hurt. I'm not sure if he's going to play in the – Season open on Wednesday in Vancouver. He's on the ice. He's skating. He says he's feeling a lot better, but you never know with those hips if they could just kind of flare up on you. But yeah, Broberg's a guy that the Oilers are, are expecting to kind of make the jump here and, and, and finally become an everyday NHL. He, he hasn't had a great camp. He's had a good camp. He hasn't stood out as yeah. much, but yeah, this is a guy that they've penciled in. So he has to lose the job for someone else to come and take it. Yeah, we, we all know what type of offensive production this Oilers team can produce, obviously, when you have McDavid and Dreisaitl leading that charge. But a, a knock against the Oilers has been their defensive core. If if Ekholm's healthy and Broberg can take a step forward, I know that some parts of the organization are higher on, on uh, Darnay as well. If, if these guys are all able to take their game to another level, where do you think this decor is at? I'm not saying elite, but will they be good enough for to the point where the Oilers can be a serious contender this year? Yeah, I think so. And and you look at the, when you're talking about the Oilers' defense and their goaltending and considering all the firepower they have in front, the Oilers are going to score an average of four goals a game. So all they got to do is keep their goals against average under three, and they're going to be just fine. And I think that's the, the issue we saw last year. They got into some five, six, five games. Yeah, they got into some high-scoring games that they'd rather uh, not do this year. They, they know that it, a 6-5 game in the regular season is going to turn into a 2-3, two, 2-1 two, game in the playoffs. So I think that's what the Oilers are, are wanting to do. They want to get better defensively and, and still maintain that high offensive level. But I think, yeah, you don't need world beaters on your back end if you're the Edmonton Oilers because you don't need to shut out every team to win games. Uh, you just need to play well enough and can, don't concede more than three goals. And you probably win on, on a nightly basis. And I think that's the kind of the mentality that they have on the back end. And they have, you know, Darnell Nurse is going to have, you know, he doesn't have to play 30, 35 minutes a night. Uh, he doesn't have to play big minutes because they do have, you know, guys like Ekholm and Broberg and Bouchard has taken a step. And so they do have those guys. But, yeah, their back end doesn't have to be world beaters for this team to be very successful just because they score so many goals. And then they scored, uh, I think, 325 goals last year, which was like 20 more than the next team. And their power play was liked out. Their power play basically scores on one on every three chances. So you gotta, they're basically going in with a power play goal to get three, three, three power plays in the game. So, yeah, they don't have to be great. They just have to be, you know, just have to be average and just, uh, you know, just kind of mind, mind the fork type thing. And, and I think the others will be fine. We're only a few weeks away from the Heritage Classic at Commonwealth. Uh, Derek, uh, first of all, thoughts on the jerseys first, and uh, how exci- and then obviously, how much is there excitement in the city of Edmonton? 
Well, I think it's going to build now that the season has started because it's a good idea they're playing it in October because everyone remembers the one in November 20 years ago. And it was, we were talking minus 30. Those guys are out there trying to play hockey, minus 28, minus 30. And it was, it was everyone remembers it was just such a cold event. It kind of, the cold kind of overshadowed everything that came along with the event. But I think it's going to be fun. I did like the jerseys. I like kind of the throwback jerseys. Uh, of the Flames and the Oilers, uh, especially the Oilers, uh, you know, they, it was a really nice jersey. Um, and I think they're 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 going to get as the season starts here, they're going to start building up to this game, and it's going to be hopefully nice weather. It won't be minus twenty. Um, it'll be nice weather, and uh, it'll be a it'll kind of a fun event. And then I think it's it's a good thing that they're they're playing the the Calgary Flames, obviously with the rivalry there. And I think it's going to be good. And the technology, as like I was talking about, a lot of people about the ice now, what it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, they really struggled with the ice. It was chippy, uh, you know, especially with the cold. But now the technology is, is so good now. It's going to be uh, it's gonna be a great event, and I think a lot of people are looking forward to it. And, and they hope that a lot of people from Calgary uh, drive up and, and watch this game as well because I think it, it'll be one of those things that you say 20 years from now, yeah, yeah, I was there at that game, just kind of like people are saying about that game in November way back when. Uh, obviously, the Battle of Alberta is reignited uh, here with the Flames. Uh, who do you see going head-to-head, the goaltending tandem between Vladar and Markstrom versus Campbell and Skinner? Uh, between the two, can uh, Campbell have a better bounce back than Markstrom? Or, or do you see still the Edmonton Oilers having the upper hand on the goaltending battle? Um, I, I think Markstrom uh, probably has a little bit upper hand just because of his experience. Like he had, he had an off season last year, but I think he's an experienced goaltender. He's been through the wars, uh, and I think uh, you know just last year, you know, people talk about uh, you know how the str- the struggle the struggles of the Flames were last year, and and Huberto and and those guys how they struggle. But I think they missed the point. They missed the playoffs by two points, so it wasn't like they're that far off. They're they're right there. So if those guys can turn around that season, the Flames are going to be right there. And I think their, their goaltending is going to be a strength for them. Um, I like Vladar, obviously. Uh, you know, I, I like Mark, Mark Sherman. I just think it's going to be um, a, a really good – we're looking forward to, to the Battle of Alberta this year. I think last year they, they you know, it kind of lost out. They didn't play a lot of games. And then you're hoping that this year uh, it kind of it reignites. If both teams are good, the Battle of Alberta is really, really fun. Yeah, the Heritage Classic should be super interesting, being the fact that it's going to be the first time that these two teams meet for that entire season. So we're all looking forward to that as well. I wanted to get your thoughts on on Connor Brown. And it seems like he's going to be playing on that right wing with Connor McDavid this season. Obviously, they have a history of playing together in Erie in the OHL. Just your thought on that fit and what we can expect from Connor Brown this year. Well, it's interesting because Connor Brown, even in the preseason, he's getting a lot of looks. Like he, he looks like he, he he knows where to play with McDavid. He knows how to find those little pockets on the ice, and he knows he's just got to get to the front of that, find open space, and he's going to get the puck on his stick. Um, and it's just a matter of how many of those opportunities Connor Brown can finish off. But because he's going to get two or three a night, two or three glory, uh, glorious scoring chances a night playing with Connor McDavid, and and he uh, looks like he does have some finishing in him. And uh, this is a this is a big opportunity for a guy like Connor Brown. Yeah. When you look at people that played with McDavid, you look at the people that come and play with the Oilers, they usually have career years. And he's only on a one-year contract. So if he has another career year, that could set him up really nicely for his next contract. And he's going to get his looks. He got his looks in the preseason. Uh, and it just the way he's, been, he's able to read off Connor McDavid, I think it goes back to that chemistry the two had in Erie. Uh, playing in junior all that, that all that while ago, and I think it's going to be a good fit if if he can 
stay healthy, I think it's going to be good. He's still coming off that, that knee injury that cost him the entire year. So you always wonder about a knee injury, how long it actually takes a person to really get back up to speed. But it looks like he looks like he was doing really well. But that's the one thing that stood out is the, the number of opportunities, particularly in the last preseason game, that he was getting. Yeah, and, and you kind of brought it up there as well. Uh, just how Connor McDavid can make anyone around him so much better. And it seems like year in and year out, He's able to bring his game to an even higher level. And just a couple weeks ago, Sidney Crosby was talking about how he could possibly hit 160 points. Do you think that is in the realm of possibility for McDavid this year? I, I think it is, and I think it almost kind of gave him a target to, to kind of aim yeah. for. Um, just, just because he just you're looking at a guy that's 27 going into his prime still. He still hasn't reached his prime, which is the scary thought. And it just, he seems to play the game at another level. Like he seems to play, uh, you know, just talking to him. He seems to play the game from down low, watching it from the press box. Cause he just knows where everything is and everyone is at all times. It's just amazing. His vision. And he does everything at a hundred miles an hour. So you're right. People that play with him all have career years. You look at Zach Hyman came yep. in here had a great year, Ryan Nugent Hopkins had a great year last year. Like all the people that have come in here are having three years playing with them. And it's just a matter of, of knowing how to play off them. Uh, and he's going to get his points. Like if people can finish around him, he's going to get his points. And, and I think, you know, he won the Rocket Richard Trophy last year. Uh, he'll be shooting for that again this year. So, uh, you know, it's going to if Connor McDavid stays healthy, knock on wood, uh, he's going to have a huge year uh, numbers-wise. But to him, the only thing that matters is the Stanley Cup. If he can go right. out and gets 165, 170 points, uh, wins the scoring race, wins the heart, and all those trophies, but he doesn't win the Stanley Cup, he'll consider it a disappointing year. Yeah, you kind of brought it up there as well. Um, I don't need to tell you the expectations for this team that it is the vibe or the energy around this team right now. Are the players carrying themselves like you just said that anything short of reaching the Stanley Cup final would be considered a disappointment? Like this is their chance to win right here, right now, yeah? Yeah, and they're in their window right now, and that window is going to be closing really quickly. You look at Leon Dreisaitl, his contract is up in two years. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent in two years. And then McDavid's contract is going to be up in three years. He's going to be an unrestricted agent in three years. So can they keep those two guys together beyond that? That's that's a question, depending on how much money someone throws at Leon Dreisaitl. He, you know, he may be the second-best player in the league uh, just when it comes to offensively. So... Um, they see the window, it's there, they're in it, but it is, it is closing rapidly. And I think that adds a little uh, pressure to this team. It adds a little urgency to this team. And they know that you know, they, they have to win it within the next couple of years um, in order to just, you look at the, uh, the talent on this team, it'd be a waste if they, if they didn't win at least one Stanley Cup. But I think that's how they look at it. Uh, and, they, and they look at it and they're doing the little things that they, 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 they feel they need to do. And they think they've learned a lot from that series loss to Vegas last year. Um, so yeah, it's, it's Stanley Cup or bust here in Edmonton, at least for the next two or three years. Uh, I just, uh, you brought it up on dry saddle, you know, two years left on his deal. Uh, what do you think his number starts at, uh, for Leon dry saddle? Uh, that's a good question. I think it goes, uh, I think it starts with Matthew's sign, to be honest with you. I think that's where it starts because you look at, uh, historically the numbers Leon dry saddle has put up, they've been better than Austin Matthews and Austin Matthews signed a huge deal. So if I'm Leon Dreisaitl's agent, I look at that number, okay, we're going to start from that number and work our way up. And so I think the orders are praying that the salary cap goes up by 5 or $6, 7000000 million by that time so they can afford these two guys uh, because if it doesn't, they won't be able to. And, and you know a team's out there going to throw ridiculous money at Leon Dreisaitl. So, but I, I think that's, that's basically the, the bar 
is where Austin Matthews sign and, and go from there. Uh, a couple more here for you. Uh, just We talked about how good this team is, but just who's on the brink? Who's on the outside? What prospects can you say that are like reaching potential or just knocking on the door that if there's a call-up needed, they'll be the ones to get called up? Yeah, I think Raphael Lavoie fits into that category. If he doesn't get stupid up on waivers tomorrow, um, they wave, they have to, he has to go through waivers to get back to the AHL, and they just they put him on waivers today. But he's a guy that's close. And, and you look at all the guys in the American Hockey League, uh, he's probably the next in line. He didn't have a great camp. He's got all the skills. He's a big guy that can skate. He's got a great shot. Uh, but he didn't really stand out in camp, and they feel like he does need a bit more seasoning. And they hope that this is a guy he dominates at the American Hockey League level. So when you dominate the American Hockey League level, you're hoping that it comes up and translates to the American Hockey or to the NHL. But there's also also always those guys that are kind of tweeners. They're really good AHL players, but not quite good enough to play in the NHL. So they're hoping he doesn't fall in that category. I don't think he will. I think he's a talented guy. I think he's got all the tools, and I think he works really hard. So if when they call someone up, if he does clear waivers, which is 50-50, I think, because he's a, he's a talented young man. Uh, but if he does clear and he, they sent him down, then he'll probably be the number one guy if, uh, if they need a body to come up. And another thing with the Oilers, though, as well, is that they're such uh, under the salary cap crunch that they're going to have to play with a 21-man roster this season. They can't afford 23 players. So that's another situation there that they had to send two guys down that otherwise, if they had the, if they had the money, if they had the ability to field a full roster, would have stayed in Edmonton. So uh, they're going to play with 12 forwards and seven defensemen uh, and, and go from there. So a lot of nights, the Oilers are going to play 11 forwards and seven defensemen, uh, just the way the, the salary cap is broken down. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just away from the Oilers and kind of around the entire division as a whole, we expect the Flames to take a step forward. We kind of know what the Kraken are. Uh, I was saying it earlier in our last segment, but do you believe the Pacific Division is now the best division in hockey? Yeah, bar, bar none. I think, and I think a lot of people think that as well. It's a tough, tough division. You throw the Los Angeles Kings in there. You got obviously Vegas in there. Um, yeah, it's a very, very tough division. And, and we, I've talked to players about that. They know that. They know that every night in that division is going to be a war because those points are going to be so valuable going down the stretch. And, and, and you wonder, you know, how, how much Los Angeles has improved with, with Pierre-Luc Dubois. You, you look at uh, the Flames, it, you know, Huberto's going to have a much better year than he yeah. did last year. Like, you, you can't get much worse than he did last year. Kadri's going to have a better year. They got, uh, you know, they got talent there. The goaltenders are going to be better, so they're going to be a lot better. Like I said, as bad as everyone thought Calgary was last year, they're only two points out of a playoff spot. So they are right there. Uh, and yeah, and then Vegas is around. The Oilers are around. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's much doubt that the Pacific Division uh, is the best division in hockey right now. We're in discussion with Derek Van Dees, writer for NHL.com. Derek, thanks for taking the time. Enjoy the Heritage Classic, and uh, ha- happy Thanksgiving, man. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. There he goes. There goes uh, Derek Van Dees, and he joined us on the Atlas Pizza and sports bar guest hotline. Oilers, like you said, it's go time for them. The vibe around their team right now, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. It's Stanley Cup or bust. Oh, 100%. I think it's going to be, they need to win. I think their window is pretty much these two years. Dry Sidles contract is up uh, after the next season. And at eight and a half million, looks like a bargain. And mm-hmm. he becomes a UFA. And if they're starting at the number that Matthews got, they're going to have to pray that the, the cap goes off significantly. We know it's... Uh, Them and the Leafs are kind of in a similar spot with 
how much cap Money. space that they're crunched under, you know? 100%. And I think maybe in that way, uh, they need to decide. Is it go in all the way? Will they give up the first their first round pick in the upcoming draft? Will they give more just to load up their roster to ensure that they can win a cup with this team? Because if they can't, it's a, it's a very tough question. And then when McDavid's contract comes up in 26-27... It's like, does he want to stay here? Yeah. Or does he want to go somewhere else where he actually can win a Stanley Cup? Yeah. Big expectations for the team wearing blue and orange just three hours up the road. But we're going to take a quick break around the corner. Kevin Woodley of Ingoal Magazine. He also covers the Vancouver Canucks for NHL.com. He's going to join us, going to get his thoughts on Markstrom, Vladar, Wolf, some notes on the Canucks as well. That's all straight ahead as Sportsnet Today continues right here on Sportsnet 960, the fan.